Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. that you say i already reviewed the last jedi yeah i did uh it's uh, you know that was what two weeks ago now as of almost about a week and a half two weeks ago and i have it was three weeks ago that i saw the film for the first time i have since seen it a second time i plan on going to see it a third time uh, on sunday and i firstly like this i want to get this out front right now uh the entire uh, episode is going to be spoiler filled starting right now any path so many worth exploring just one would be so boring and look what you're ignoring okay spoiler section uh but as i was saying i i haven't done spoilers talk for this yet and i've had so many conversations about this movie in the last couple of weeks that i don't feel I don't. I feel like I'm. I'm shortchanging you, the listeners. I'm not, you know, giving you guys your due if I don't at least talk about this movie to the same degree and to the same level that I've been talking about it on fantasy movie league forums, on Twitter, with uh, people I know, uh, etc. So I wanted to. I wanted to do that. So uh, <laughs> I don't really have a structure in mind other than. I have a notepad document in front of me that I've been taking notes on uh, as I've been going kind of back through the conversations I've had and overheard and the articles I've read and all these stuff to try and track down as many aspects and points of this movie that I could possibly think of to discuss. And they're broken down into like many categories like the movie itself, Kylo, Hux, Canto Bite, Leia, Poe, etc. And I'm just going to go down and, you know, sometimes I'll hit one that I've already talked about by the time I get to it, I don't know if any of these I'll be able to th- remember exactly what I was thinking of when I put them at, on the list, but I will do my best to try and address every single aspect of the movie that I can think to address uh, from as many a- avenues of perspective as I possibly can. So, The Last Jedi. Uh, full disclosure, I really like the movie. I think it's really good. Uh, I like it more than The Force Awakens. And it is my third favorite Star Wars movie behind New Hope and Empire. A lot of people don't feel the same way. A lot of people put it down toward the bottom. Some people put it in line with the prequels. Some people put it just above the prequels. You know, it's it's a mixed bag, depending on who you ask. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is definitely proof of that. And so I'm going to try to be... Uh, I try to, try to entertain as many different aspects as I possibly can, but... I'm sure that I will tend to skew towards it's a good movie and the things it did are good, but I, I will try to at least offer the the mindset of people who don't necessarily agree with that as, as much as I can. So, Last Jedi, directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, he wrote and directed the film himself. And one, one of the things, the first thing I want to talk about is how we perceive this film in relation to the rest of the franchise. And what I mean by that is 
we had an original trilogy, uh, New Hope, Empire, and Return of the Jedi. They were all great. Uh, I, I think they're all great. Most people think they're all great, particularly, you know, obviously Star Wars fans. Um, and with very few exceptions, I think most people would cite Empire as their favorite movie. I personally think uh, New Hope is my favorite, personally. But Empire is my number two. And when the original trilogy came out, I was not alive. But my general uh, understanding of what the reaction was is that Lucas, George Lucas, had created something never before seen. He had done something incredible. And, you know, Star Wars, as the original film was titled, became a huge hit that sparked conversations, arguments, debates, um, and a fan base, uh, a rabid fan base for decades to come. You know, you need not look further than uh, The Force Awakens breaking opening weekend box office records to see just how enduring the legacy of Star Wars has become. It's, it's astonishing and incredible, flat out. And when you look at the prequels, then you see, you know, they made a lot of money. They haven't made nearly as much money as the sequel trilogy and Rogue One have made, but they made quite a bit of money for their time. And they were, they had a much bigger involvement from George Lucas. Now, he took the reins over a bit more in the in the prequels. Uh, he used a lot more CGI. Uh, he thought that he could finally really tell his story with the visuals that he needed, that he didn't have, uh, back when the original trilogy came out. And to a certain degree, he's correct. You know, there are a lot of aspects of the original of the prequel trilogy that look fantastic. Um, you know, I thought Grievous was pretty well realized. Uh, the pod racing scenes are pretty are incredibly exhilarating, and most of the lightsaber battles are, are a lot of fun to watch, and, and especially. Um, I, don't, I forget the name of the planet they're on in uh, Revenge of the Sith when Anakin and, and Obi-Wan have their fateful duel, but it looks really great, you know, for, for 2004, 3. But they were met with much, while, you know, they had critical appeal back at the, then, they, the fans were not as on board, midichlorians, Jar Jar, Senate talks, didn't really sit well with fans at the time. You know, fans, particularly fans who were used to Han and Leia basically roving across the galaxy and saving the world. You know, that was what we were up against. That was what we were used to. And the prequel trilogy just didn't scratch that itch in the same way. Uh, but fans stuck around because this prequel trilogy had an end game. It had Anakin turning into Vader. And that is what we got, you know, we ultimately got that, and I think in the 10, 15 years or so since the prequel trilogy came out, uh, popular opinion has eased back against that trilogy, maybe not from everybody, but from the consensus as a whole, uh, I do think that a lot of people have eased back on their hatred for those movies, and you know, the criticisms against Hayden Christensen have kind of been walked back a little bit because you look at Luke in um, New Hope, he is so whiny. He really is. And Hayden Christensen is just as whiny, you know, like, makes sense to me. And 
you know, I've read many think pieces and uh, seen a lot of discussion and arguments about the direction of the prequels and the way that they approach Star Wars and how they show us a completely different landscape and the way that Anakin learns about the Force as opposed to how Luke learned about the Force and how Anakin is seduced by the dark side in the same way that Luke is seduced by the light and, and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's great. I love it. I, too, have eased back my opinion on the prequels. I really only liked episode three um, for the longest time, but I've come around a little bit and I think one and two are maybe okay. I haven't seen them in a little bit, so I'm going to have to rewatch them relatively soon and kind of get a better idea of, of where I think they stand overall. However, um, they are, uh, episodes one and two are still my two least favorite of the Star Wars films, with three being my sixth favorite. So, so currently my ranking from top to bottom goes New Hope, Empire, Last Jedi, Force Awakens, um, Return of the Jedi, uh, trying to think here. Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, Attack of the Clones, Phantom, I think. No, Phantom, then Attack of the Clones. Phantom's number eight, Attack of the Clones number nine. That's my personal ranking. And so, if we remove Jedi, Last Jedi, I went into this incredibly excited. I really loved Force Awakens. I thought it was a ton of fun. It, it reinvigorated, reinvigorated the love for this franchise that I really never had. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, I really liked the original trilogy, but I didn't see them until I was like 14 or 15 years old. Uh, you know, and in fact, I had seen some of the prequel trilogy before the original trilogy, to the best of my memory. And so, neither, but like neither the prequels or the original trilogy were the films I identified with. And so when Force Awakens came out, I finally had a Star Wars movie that I considered mine. You know, this is, shut up. Don't restart my computer. Uh, this is um, this these are my Star Wars movies. Force Awakens, you know, Rogue One, which isn't really my favorite Star Wars movie, is still like my Star Wars. Like this is the Star Wars of era that I've grown to uh, have passion for, and I, I accept that warts and all. I know a lot of people think Rogue One is great and even their favorite. Now, I think Rogue One is good. I, it's just not great or my favorite in my opinion. Uh, so Last Jedi, super excited to go into it. But uh, man, I had I caught wind of the divisiveness of the film prior to entering the movie. And I was cautious, but I was kind of excited. I think, I forget who said it, but I remember reading somewhere, somebody saying, that a divisive Star Wars movie is a good Star Wars movie. I don't know what they meant by that, but for me, uh, it means that it's a, that the movie is trying to do something that diehard fans aren't exactly sure they want. And to me, that sounds fantastic, because there are a lot of things that Force Awakens did that I thought, well, look, I, I wish we had taken a couple more risks here. And so... Last Jedi more than rewarded me. Uh, and I think a lot of people have looked at Last Jedi and said, you know, like, Ryan Johnson has destroyed 
everything that the franchise has been building toward. They he had a, you know he pissed on the first seven episodes. He doesn't you know he he burned everything to the ground and built back from square one. All this kind of stuff. And to a certain degree, I don't disagree with that that assessment. But I think that there that those people are blowing it significantly out of proportion because to me and a comparison uh, I have I, I don't think I made this comparison but a comparison that I've seen is you look at Ryan Johnson's relationship to George Lucas as Luke's relationship to Vader okay bear with me bear with me so Lucas created this world he is the person that diehard fans emulate and obsess and you know it's Lucasfilm you know this is not the world Lucas intended he is the original creator he had an original uh, idea that he put forth and whether or not you like the prequels they at least followed in that image because Lucas was at the helm for them fine Uh, then you have Ryan Johnson come along and he says no 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 I'm going to do things my own way. This is what Star Wars means to me. And we have to move on from Lucas and what Lucas had had done. And when you look at the prequels, in my opinion, I think that's fair. Because Lucas kind of went off the rails. I don't think he understands Star Wars as much as most of the fans do. I don't think he's spent as much time thinking about it as many of the fans do. But... I think for some reason the fans are still convinced that Lucas knows what's best for Star Wars. I don't think that's true. Uh, whereas, and and the way I'm going to compare that to Luke and Vader is that you know you have when you especially after seeing the prequels you have Vader who is initially trained uh, as a Jedi. He is spit all you know midichlorian numbers and he's got gets this whole doctrine about how what it is to be a jedi and then palpatine kind of like takes him under his wing and he tells him all these stories about how powerful the dark side is and what kind of greatness and and, and achievements can be accomplished with it and all of a sudden anakin becomes starts to think man that's that's kind of great and so anakin goes to the dark side at the end of the prequels becomes vader vader as we see him in the original trilogy is kind of the i would say the most recognizable character for the general population in all of star wars you know more so than luke more so than han leia chewie it's vader that helmet the voice the breathing it's all just incredibly iconic and from the very beginning, from the first frame that he is in, you get, you know, even now, you still get the sense like, man, this guy means business, this guy is going to have a legacy, you know, how can you not latch on to the, to the uh, image that, that, that they created of Darth Vader, and so now, you have Ryan Johnson come along, and, or, sorry, you, so you have Luke come along in the original trilogy, and not only does he convince Vader to ultimately waver and turn to the good side when he kills Palpatine, the Emperor, but 
he's also approaching and doing things completely differently than Vader. You know, he is being trained spiritually by Obi-Wan initially and then ultimately by Yoda. He is, you know, he didn't have any of the Jedi teachings, essentially, that Vader had, really, when you think about it. Like, yeah, they were both trained by Obi-Wan for periods of time, but if you compare the teachings that Obi-Wan gave Anakin to the ones he gave Luke, they are vastly different. And Luke is brought up with his own idea of what the Force is, his own idea of how to use it and how to control it. And... Yeah, Vader may have been, you know, at t- you know most of the, for most of the time stronger with the Force than Luke. He may have originated it in the prequels, quote originated. But Luke comes along and he presents this new or orde- new idea, takes things in a different direction, is able to convince Vader to turn to the light side, and uh, you know win. And and it ends the original trilogy on a positive note. And, you know, things are successful. Now, I'm not saying that Ryan Johnson has necessarily ended, obviously, I mean, he hasn't ended his own tri- this trilogy of films, but I guess the point that I'm trying to get at is that Lucas had his way for so long, the way Vader did, and Ryan Johnson slash Luke came along and, you know, said, look, buddy, uh, you had your time, but it's my time now, and you can either get on board, which is what Vader ultimately ends up doing at the end of Return of the Jedi, or I'll leave you in the dust. I don't know what George Lucas thinks about The Last Jedi. I haven't seen any thought pieces about his reaction. I haven't seen any Twitter reactions to any of that stuff. Maybe he has put out his opinion. Maybe he hasn't. I, I mean, I gotta believe he's seen the movie, right? Like it's Star Wars, but um, I don't know. That man, that comparison felt so much better when I made it. Probably Cause now I don't. I think I don't remember exactly what I was honing it on. I hope I didn't just like waste ten minutes. Okay, next next issue. Moving on. Moving on. Um, a lot of people aren't happy with the direction Johnson took many of the loose plot threads from the end of The Force Awakens. And to a degree, you know, I can understand that. It goes against a lot of Star Wars mythology. But, bear with, but, you know, let me, let me talk you this way. When, when J.J. Abrams made The Force Awakens, he basically had a blank slate. He did not have to have Han Solo. He did not have to have Luke or Leia in that movie if he didn't want to. Uh, but he did, and you know I think that was a good decision because it helped attach old fans to the new movies, and it it gave them, you know, it gave his movie a sort of foundation to build upon. So I, I don't blame him for what he chose to do with The Force Awakens. However. At the end of The Force Awakens, he had all these different criteria that he'd given to Johnson to handle. So Johnson had to start The Last Jedi with Rey and Luke on an isolated island that no one could find. Um, Finn had just been had been unconscious after his fight with Kylo. You know, uh, he had... Um, I'm trying to think, like... 
we were left without a clear identif- uh, identity of Poe, because we didn't see a ton of Poe in The Force Awakens. Uh, we didn't get a, much of Snoke. We saw Snoke twice in a hologram, as a hologram in The Force Awakens. Uh, we were presented with the, you know, who are Ray's parents. We had all these different things that were kind of left for Johnson to figure out. And Johnson couldn't not start, like, it's not like Johnson had the opportunity to not start episode 8 immediately after episode 7. He simply could not do that because how do you skip over the results of Ray handing Luke a lightsaber? You can't, like, you know, you have to address that uh, in some way. So he has to pick up these pieces right where they're left off. Now, regardless of what happens in the middle, like, let's skip to the end of episode 8. So at the end of The Last Jedi, when you look at what has taken place, basically, um, with other than the fact that Luke and Snoke are dead, you move on to episode 9, which... For the, at the moment, J.J. Abrams is uh, directing, but he can, again, literally do whatever he wants, you know, like the Resistance has managed to escape, so he can pick up immediately, he can skip ahead, and, you know, maybe the, and effectively saying that they escaped for a p- significant period of time, and have been able to evade the First Order. Uh, likewise, the First Order really can do whatever they want after this point, whether they're still trailing the the resistance, whether they've gone off to develop more weapons that could be even bigger than the Starkiller base, which please don't. Uh, but essentially, Johnson gave him free reign to do whatever he wanted. You know, he kind of reset things in a way, which, you know, burning everything to the ground. But that gives JJ the ability to build on episode nine however he sees fit. And one of the one convincing argument, or at first convincing argument that I heard talking about this movie, as far as what it sets up for episode nine is well, one, there aren't enough questions to be answered, but two, um, unlike the original trilogy, which was uh, structured in such a way that it ended up with two Skywalkers, Luke and Anakin, uh, fighting each other for the safety of the the known universe galaxy, I guess, known galaxy. Uh, if Rey's not a Skywalker, then the sequel trilogy is not set up that way. And therefore, the stakes aren't as high. And, you know, I saw someone even saying, like, if Rey's not a Skywalker, then what has this all been for? This is terrible. And to that, at first, I was like, okay, I kind of get that. You know, Skywalker versus Skywalker you know, or, you know, Skywalker versus Solo, but, like, Skywalker blood versus Skywalker blood, I can understand how compelling that would be, and that's kind of a driving narrative, but, my opinion, the better narrative is that episode nine is the end of the Skywalker saga, and in order for it to be that way, all of the Skywalkers have to be dead, and as far as we're aware unless J.J. retcons a few things, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, is the only surviving member, you know, if we're already counting Leia as dead, Ben Solo is the only surviving person in the world, in the universe, galaxy, whatever, with Skywalker blood. So the narrative of Episode Nine 
is Ray deciding, or some, or you know, the movie deciding, the Resistance deciding, the galaxy deciding that Skywalkers have been the focus and source of so many problems, and Ray has the chance to not only end Kylo Ren's reign, to cut off the head of the head of the First Order, but stop the Skywalker bloodline from continuing. And therefore, theoretically, uh, setting us forth into a period of prosperity and and removing this very problematic uh, family from existence. You know, you don't. You know, obviously, Kylo is not Leia, and outside of Leia, we have had Luke, who, in the original trilogy, flirted with the dark side, whose hesitation and fear led to Kylo Ren's turning to the dark side. We had Vader, obviously. Um, and so there's just, there's just so much problems surrounding this. So for my money, I want the final episode of the Skywalker saga to literally not be able to continue as the Skywalker saga. Kylo dies, assuming, so if like, if Kylo stays evil, Rey kills him in the end of episode 9, Skywalker's all dead. That is my line to the end of these movies. And I think that Ryan Johnson's Last Jedi kind of emphasizes that point, because his movie isn't The Force Awakens because The Force Awakens approaches Star Wars the way that the general audience thinks of it. You know, it's bombastic, it's um, mischievous, it's meddlesome, you know, it's crowd-pleasing, you know, everyone loved this, like, everyone, if they didn't think it was a good movie, they at least enjoyed watching The Force Awakens. Uh, You know, Rey, Finn, Poe, you had all these characters who were just new versions of old characters, and old characters were just the old characters 30 years later and and so you had all this stuff and uh the audiences ate it up whereas last jedi is about ryan johnson's specific relationship with this franchise it doesn't have anything to do with my opinions doesn't have anything to do with yours doesn't have anything to do with anybody else's any of the critics any of the other fans any of the you know doesn't have and perhaps to its detriment or benefit depending on who you ask it doesn't have anything to do with uh, George Lucas's relationship with Star Wars. It is purely Ryan Johnson's relationship. And that is what makes it so personal to him and why the film is feels so different from the previous movies in this franchise. Now, I think this is a good thing. I like the limited amount of auteurship that is being brought to the franchise through The Last Jedi. I fully expect J.J. Abrams to have none of that in Episode Nine, but... Uh, be that as be that as it may, uh, that's what we're gonna have. So I'm I'm far more cautious and concerned about episode nine than I was about episode eight at this point. Okay, moving on. Man, this is probably gonna take a lot longer than I expected. Okay, so those are the only points I had for the film as a whole. Um, but now let's move on to the first character I wrote down, which is Kylo Ren. Um. Uh, okay, so I have here uh, 
Kylo from Force Awakens, we hear him say to the uh, disfigured helmet of Darth Vader, I will finish what you started. And that's compelling in the first movie. That's compelling in the last or in the Force Awakens because it attaches us to Vader, who is the again most recognizable Star Wars character. It attaches us to the original trilogy and it shows how Kylo is not Vader because from that point on in the movie we see how he does not live up to Vader's uh legacy you know he is not as intimidating he is not as scary but he still manages to achieve and successfully uh, remove obstacles in his path the way that vader did he kills his father han solo uh, and you know he's able to successfully torture poe to get the um, location of uh, the map the piece of the map out of him that's with bb-8 uh, he's able to capture Ray. He, uh, you know, he gets shot in the ch- uh, chest with a blaster and is still able to easily defeat Finn, who had used a lightsaber before, and then duels Ray to a standstill. After which, uh, and you know, Ray is clearly very strong with the Force. So, given the c- circumstances, I would say that's fairly sh- good. Fairly good. Uh, then we see him move into The Last Jedi, and he says, let the past die, kill it, if you have to. And I think, and you know, between Force Awakens and Last Jedi, he has figured out that his emulation of Vader, as we see early on in The Last Jedi, you know, he destroys his own helmet, he stops wearing the helmet, his emulation of Vader has prevented him from you know, really being who he is and really coming into his own as a, not just a person, but like as a Sith, I guess we haven't used the term Sith to describe him in the movies. So I hate, I don't like calling him a Sith, but I guess he technically is Supreme leader, uh, Kylo Ren. Uh, he's able to, and yet like, again, we see like he isn't able to kill Leia in The Last Jedi, he hesitates, he has his finger on the trigger, and he doesn't press the button, but then later on, he does kill Snoke, he offers Rey, who he had uh, captured, tortured, and tried to kill previously, to join him, you know, this is a complex character, who is battling himself, himself, uh, who, in the first movie, is trying to follow in the footsteps of his grandfather, in the second movie, is actively trying to be his own person and trying to you know he kills Snoke in order to gain the freedom to really do whatever he wants thinking that Rey will join him thinking that she also wants to improve the circumstances improve the world around them in the same way he does and that's not the case Uh, he confronts Luke and is you know in a position to strike Luke down uh, had he not been a force projection and now he controls the first order and to me, that he is just significantly a better character than Vader. Not villain, not icon, but character. He probably will never ever be as iconic as Vader is. But Vader, 
even when you include the Anakin backstory, is not complicated as a character. Uh, you know, he has that waiver to the good side, but like all in, that, like all in all, he does not make a lot of. That's pretty much the only proactive choice he makes in the original trilogy. When you realize that he's basically working for Palpatine, and following Palpatine, he never shows us that he has any desire to overthrow Palpatine throughout the original trilogy uh, or throughout the original tril- or the prequel trilogy. And when you compare Kylo to the other villains we've seen in the past, so Darth Maul, General Grievous from the prequels, are essentially mindless. They don't seem to have any like desires to rule the world themselves. Maul like barely speaks. Grievous is just kind of there and uh, is a droid. So I-, I don't know what his game was. Whereas you look at Dooku from the prequels and Vader from the original trilogy are both just kind of underlings of Emperor Palpatine. And that's all they really want is to be, they're just like following his orders from what we see. And then you look at Palpatine and like, even in the, even in the prequels, like he doesn't get a lot to do. He's mostly just there to take over the world. And like, that's silly and, and uninspired in my opinion. Whereas Kylo, we don't really know what his plan is. You know, he obviously has a different idea for the future than Snoke. He no longer is following in Vader's footsteps, so he doesn't see things that way. He is in an incredible position of power heading into episode nine, and I'm incredibly excited to see what direction he goes with that. Uh, Similarly, he's also... um, and, and it, because of that, I think that the entirety of Episode Nine rests on Kylo Ren. It all depends on what direction he takes the First Order, what he wants them to do, conquer, lead, uh, destroy, kill, all that stuff is up to him. But on the other hand, you have this relationship he's developed with Rey, and it was kind of resentful and and filled he was filled with anger in the first movie when you know ray was stronger than him with the force when ray was able to you know resist him and then you see in the last jedi you know they have this they develop this relationship when snoke connects them and they fight together well together uh but then and he's you know he's like look i let me let's work together and make things the way they need to be you know screw the first order screw the jedi screw the sith screw luke screw snoke all that stuff let's just make what we want the world to be and you know you can see in his delivery of those lines and his performance the way that ray sees you know he's not talking about a utopia here it doesn't sound like you know and and who knows maybe that's not true maybe you know we're 20 years or five seven years into the future in episode nine and uh kylo ren has you know made our made us given us our first star peace movie i don't know but his relationship with ray is very complicated i believe ray still thinks she can change him I think that she still has this unspoken connection to him and she doesn't fully understand it yet and she's going to want to try to figure that out. And that's that's interesting. 
that's an interesting nugget to explore in episode nine. And then the last thing I have written here for Kylo is uh, I listened to people. Who was, who was I listening to? Um, I was listening to the uh, science fiction film podcast talk about this movie. And uh, the main host on that show, Dean, was saying that the movie Last Jedi makes so many feints towards really breaking new ground with this franchise. And one of those is Luke's attempted uh, killing of Kylo in the flashbacks. Uh, We see Kylo tell the story of how Luke tried to kill him. We see Luke tell the story of how um, Kylo tried to kill Luke. And then Luke finally admits to Rey, I had it. It passed. I lit the lightsaber. I thought I should snuff out the dark side in him. And then the moment passed me. And I'm, I didn't feel it anymore. It went away, but it was too late. He noticed, and what happened happened. From now, now Dean said that he wished that the moment hadn't passed. Right. So he he says in the in their podcast episode that if if the ultimate story had been Luke actually just wanting to kill Kylo, and we hadn't gotten that moment of the of of him changing his mind. That would be more interesting. That would complicate Luke's character even greater. I think it would complicate his character greater, but it would also like ruin his character if you follow that logically out from to this movie. We don't get. He probably has no. You know, he probably sends Ray away, or like as soon as he senses the darkness in Ray or her pull towards the darkness, he might try to kill her too, if he really was trying to kill Kylo back then, and I think that's just not a movie that we were interested in, and it's not a character that I'm interested in, because we need we need to get this sort of... We need to... if Regardless of what happened, uh, regardless of whether or not Luke really tries to kill Kylo, Kylo believes Luke tried to kill him. And so Luke knows... Even even though he didn't actually go through with it, that the reason Kylo, or at least he thinks, that the reason Kylo is out there on the dark side of the Force is because Luke showed that he, is, he succumbed to it and almost tried to kill Kylo. He blames himself for his own failures. And the best way, and the fact that he do, didn't actually try to follow through with that means that he is now in such a position where he can be redeemed. Whereas I don't think he can be redeemed if he actually tries to like kill Kylo. If he has, if that thought doesn't pass him, I don't think we get the redemption arc for Luke. I think that makes fans even more upset. And then I think that, I mean, you'd have to rewrite the entire like second half of the movie because Luke's not coming to stop Kylo then in that case at least not the way he did this way. So, like, I don't know. I I like the way they did it this time because you still get a a complicated character in Luke. You still get Kylo thinking Luke tried to kill him. And then you also get the redemption arc for Luke, which I really like. I really appreciate. All right, moving on to another character at the center of focus. And this one will be much shorter. uh, Is General Hux. So... I don't know about you guys, Hux was my least favorite character in The Force Awakens. I thought, 
I like Donald Gleason a lot, but I don't think he did a lot or anything really with Hux that felt interesting. I, I wasn't drawn to his character. I didn't have any, I didn't really care what he was doing. Um, he wasn't Tarkin. He was so not Tarkin. And like Tarkin only had one movie, one and a half movies, but Hux's one movie was not good. So we see him here again. His opening scene is uh, this really long extended joke between him and Poe. That's kind of a joke, kind of a stall tactic. And I appreciated I, I appreciated that moment a little bit more the second time I saw it because I do think that like the stall tactic it worked. You know, Hux is clearly the kind of person that his ego is so big that he resents the very idea that anyone wouldn't listen to him or hear what he's saying and, and you know, the fact that Poe would even consider acting like such a douche is totally off limits. Um, so I like this kind of turn that we have in Last Jedi where Hux kind of becomes comic relief. He's a punching bag in this movie. Which is interesting because for someone in this mo in the galaxy that holds, you know, such significant power, he really has no power because Kylo outranks him. He's more powerful than Hux, and uh, everyone is more afraid of Kylo than they are of Hux. So there's really nothing General Hux can do if Kylo doesn't let him do it, and. For Last Jedi, that's kind of uninteresting. It does provide you with some good comedic moments, you know, when he tries to, when he uh, is almost, when he's about to pull his blaster out to kill Kylo um, after Snoke dies, uh, or when, um, or, you know, after that, when, you know, Kylo and, and Hux are, you know, he, Hux is like, do you think you got him? And... <laughs> after Kylo like fires every single shot he has at the Luke image he has his moments like he has some decent moments in the movie but I'm more excited for his story in episode 9 because if if I think Ab Abrams has a good opportunity here to really expand upon Hux and give Hux a little bit more time in the spotlight to you know rebel against Kylo he clearly resents Kylo Ren they used to be effectively equals underneath Snoke. Now, Kylo is his superior. He hates Kylo. He doesn't want Kylo around. He was going to kill him. And I see that being a confrontation somewhere down the line. Um, I expect Finn will probably be the one to take out, like, Hux or something like that. I really wish Kylo took out Hux, or, like, Hux mounted his own rebellion against Kylo or something. I don't know. But... I do think that there's definitely an aspect of that relationship to explore that this movie um, prepares for, but doesn't really pay us off with. Uh, I mean, it was already two and a half hours long. We really didn't have the time for it. So I get that. Uh, so it kind of felt like a stepping stone to bridging that gap. Okay, um, moving on to the next topic I got here is... I'm actually going to skip this one and move it down a little because it fits in better with things to come later and this is uh leia let's talk about leia uh so currently the only surviving member of the original uh trilogy's main characters uh except uh, unfortunately she is the only one of the three who is dead in real life rest in peace carrie fisher shame that she is gone 
uh, and it's unfortunate because of the way this movie presents her. Now, I think my least favorite part of the movie is Leia force pulling herself back onto the ship after being blown into space. I guess I kind of accept Ryan Johnson's explanation that it's like when a mother lifts a car and if the baby's not trapped under a car, kind of explanation. That's fine. Um, but like the difference being that we've never seen Leia use the force at all. She senses things, yes, but she's never like force grabbed an object. Uh, you know, we've never seen anything like that. Whereas mothers who lift up cars, we've seen mothers. You've seen your mother lift up things, anything at all. And lifting up a car is just an exaggerated version of that thing. It's the adrenaline. Whereas I wish we'd gotten like one instance of Leia like force grabbing something or, or force pulling or pushing or whatever, something, something uh, prior to that moment. It would have gone such a long way for me in in accepting that as, as a acceptable decision uh but the second time i saw it i wasn't as bothered by it so i don't know i'll see it a third time maybe i'll still be upset i don't i'm not sure the other thing is it's unfortunate that this movie presents us with two instances where leia could have been killed in the movie and she isn't the first being where she supermans herself back to the ship the second being where holdo decides to be the one to stay behind and pull off the Holdo maneuver, which is great, and I think that's great for Holdo's character. But if Leia had done it, it would have solved us a lot of problems and a lot of grief. And I get that we didn't know it at the time when it was shot. You know, reportedly she died after all her films were shot. So I don't, I don't know how difficult it would have been to change things and make Holdo the one who goes with the Resistance escape pods. But um. I wish they could have done it that way, and unfortunately things didn't work out, but it seems like now we're going to be forced to see them uh, skip, like, to, like, open episode 9 with her funeral, or something to that effect. That's what I'm, like, envisioning in my head, and that's just unfortunate, because, you know, Leia's a great character, and it would, I wish we could have written her out of the story better, um, but I guess we weren't going to know that she was going to die. How could we? But what she does in the movie uh, helps, kind of. I mean, she spends half of it in a coma. But um, she has a profound impact on Poe. So Poe is kind of the Han Solo of the sequel trilogy. He's a hothead. He's a pilot. And he's good at it. And he gets results. We see in the opening battle. And I'm going to kind of transition into Poe, who's the next person I'm going to talk to. Um, he, he successfully destroys the Dreadnought in the opening's battle uh, to the, uh, with the loss of many, many Resistance fighters, many Resistance bombers, many Resistance crew, uh, and uh, they lost a lot for what they succeeded with. You know, I'm not, you know, obviously losing a Dreadnought is probably a pretty significant blow to the, uh, the First Order. But it's nowhere near, like, it, it's it's a drop in the bucket, really, given what presumably the First Order have access to, given that Snoke's ship is bigger than the Dreadnought, 
and the way that they talk about it, there's multiple dreadnoughts. So I, I, I fully understand why Leia demoted Poe, why he underwent this entire story arc to have to reconcile with the fact that he's reckless and he gets a lot of people killed because he needs to be a hero. Like, that's basically it. And so, you know, Leia gets two big moments there in that respect. One, demoting Poe. And two, stunning him when he's mutinying. You know, that moment when she bursts through the door is like, oh shit, this is important, this is serious now. And Poe's like really taken off guard because he obviously expects it to be Holdo. And Leia just like doesn't even waste a second. She just shoots him in the in the chest with the stun stun blaster and you know he he thankfully later on when they're stuck on crate is that right crate um uh you know poe is able to adjust and and figures out that things are not as easy as he thought they were it's not just jump in a fighter and blow stuff up as he says a couple as is said in the movie it's more just about him learning that consequences happen and you can't ignore them for a goal if the goal is not significant enough like that's not how this works and leia serves us services us as a way to explain that to him and it helps us helps poe get to that point so talking about Poe, he is demoted, and he is rightfully angry, arrogant. Um, he's kind of a dick in this movie, to be honest. Uh, he's a jerk, and to the extent where, like, you think of, like, everyone's, most, a lot of people's favorite character from the original trilogy is Han Solo, who's also a jerk, who's also hot-headed, arrogant, um, and... Uh, the difference being, and, and the way that they kind of juxtapose Poe against Han Solo, is that Poe, for all of his similarities, has one thing that turns those positive qualities about Han into incredibly negative qualities. And that's his need to be the hero. Han didn't quite have that. He was more of a reluctant hero in the original trilogy, uh, and even in Force Awakens. You know, when he comes back to help Luke on the trench run, you know, he initially thought he said he was going to leave, he was just going to take the money, but at the end, he does come back, um, helps out, and Luke's able to successfully blow up the Death Star. Sure, things would have been a lot easier if Han had been around the whole time, but if Han was actively trying to be a hero with the way he, with how reckless he is, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't have worked out so great. You see, when they try to rescue Leia, you know, Luke te says to Han, you know, why don't you just, you know, if you, like, Han is, like, shooting everybody as that they come across, and Luke's like, look, you're going to have the whole place up here in a second because you're so loud. Like, I, stop and think for a second. And, you know, that's the kind of thing, like, it's taking that element and, like, blowing it up to 100 with Poe. You know, Poe is completely focused on the accomplishment, the heroic aspects of things and you know when he comes back to the base and leia's you know like what do you think you were doing and he's like it's like like we got the dreadnought you know like those those are heroes out there and leia's like yeah dead heroes you know like it's it's 
it's tough to take because like you we think of poe and i think even in this early part of the movie you know we're still thinking of poe like yeah this guy's a badass he is taking it to the first order you know he just shoved a finger in leia's face and uh, he got the job done and let and when leia says dead heroes like that drops the like that drops hard against you because you know you're watching her stare at that screen and like three out of every four ships on there is destroyed you know it's not like they have reserves and reserves of battleships waiting for them it's not like they have an endless amount of people they do not they they aren't the first order they're not churning out stormtroopers left and right here and poe is very frustrated by this and uh you know what works it works out in the movie's favor and in the character development of poe's favor that you know, he doesn't get enough time to reconcile these emotions that he's feeling. He doesn't get enough time to really dwell on what changed and what happened and why he was demoted before Leia is knocked unconscious and Holdo is promoted in her place. Because I think if you give a little bit more breathing time, I think Poe kind of comes around and understands and recognizes what he did wrong. By pushing Holdo into the spotlight so soon, we accelerate pose um arrogance and he you know he's like obviously heard about holdo we get that scene where he's like he holdo steps forward laura dern who's fantastic and looks amazing and poe just kind of it's like really her in this very misogynistic sexist way and he's kind of a jerk about it and he immediately is up and hold his face like tell me what's going on uh you know what's the plan what are we doing uh, you gotta let me know let me in on this thing what can i do how do i how do we do the thing and hold like look get out of my face i'm in charge you're just demoted to like nothing compared to me you'll just stand by your post and wait for my orders which i totally understand i totally get that I I buy that completely and I think that's good a good good decision from Johnson in that respect because it leads Poe to take matters into his own hands so it leads him to not just mutiny but to develop this entire side mission okay that involves Rose and Finn on Canto Bight so all this kind of stuff I'm going to try and wrap it up into one sort of segment one sort of topic because a big critic, crit, uh, criticism of this movie is the Canto Bite subplot about it being pointless, about, you know, like the not just for Finn and Rose, but for the movie, how it doesn't change anything about the movie, how, you know, nothing is affected, none of the character arcs, none of, none of the things important, Finn's just being dragged through this Rose story, all this stuff, heard it all. I don't buy any of it. I don't think Cantobite is pointless. Uh, I think that it is very key in three ways. And they all have to deal with uh, the characters that... Uh, the character characterizations of Poe, Rose, and Finn. So Poe is, you know, po is incredibly frustrated. And the sequence on Cantobite, one, let's Poe feel like he's doing a thing so he's not as frustrated he's like all right 
Hodo's not, not going to do anything for us. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Let's get something done. And it rewards him for taking out his frustration by being the reason that so many people die. And he ultimately, by not trusting Holdo, by not trusting the rest of the Resistance and Leia, uh, nearly dooms them. And in the process, learns a very big lesson that is... Uh, you know he, he, you know, reverence for heroics and reverence for, you know, these sort of like mythological, mythological ideas is not all it's cracked up to be. You know, Holdo, the as as Poe says, like she's a revered person. You know, he knows her name based on the acc- accolades she'd re- she's received, and you get the sense like that's what Poe wants. He wants his name to precede him, and Holdo, to her credit doesn't give a shit about that and she's just kind of like taking each thing head on like all right this is what i'm doing right now whatever happened before doesn't matter and whatever happens after this hopefully won't matter because i'm going to figure out how to fix this problem poe isn't thinking the same way and thankfully hopefully at least based on what we've seen his terrible decision making in regarding Canto Bite and Poe and, and Rose and Finn leads him down to that path. Because when you think about it, if you look at the Canto Bite storyline, everything from the from when the idea is conceived to when um, Rose, Finn, and DJ are captured on uh, the ship, it feels like every possible decision is pointing them closer towards success. Because that's what you're entirely expecting from a movie when you're presented with this long shot plan that has consumed, you know, a third of this movie's runtime. You get this idea like, okay, well, this has to work. You know, the odds have become further and further out of, you know, astronomical. They have become gotten closer and closer to failure every step of the way. And this has to lead to a positive outcome. And when it doesn't, when, when hundreds of resistance members are, dis, are killed because Poe couldn't keep his mouth shut and he, tell, and he spills the beans to Rose and Finn, DJ overhearing them, and ultimately DJ selling them out after helping them so much of the way for some money and uh, how painful that is for all of these people watching and then you see Ray watching on the screen all of the resistance escape pods being blown up like that is terrible like worst outcome right like the, the worst thing that could have happened <laughs> and it's it's absolutely infuriating as a viewer to think like man we just spent all this time doing all this stuff for a negative outcome when like 99% of all movies would only do something like that if it worked kind of a situation but the problem is but like this it works in the sense that it sets us on a path for episode 9 where we have Poe who is no longer you know filled with this you know heroic, has to arrogant uh, perspective. Um, Finn, to talk about Finn, so like in the first movie, Finn is a coward. You know, he is constantly running away from things. He runs away from the First Order. He 
uh, lies about who he is to Ray to help him get off of uh, Jakku. He then <laughs> tries to get away from everything uh, in uh, Maz Kanata's cantina thing. And uh, the only reason he is even heroic at all in that movie is for Ray. It is only his affection and love for Ray that leads him to be do anything brave. And we see him early in this movie with Ray not there. He's running away again. Now he has different motivations, but he is a, he's being very cowardly and he's running away. He's not telling anybody about what he's doing. And Rose finds him and. You know, she just watched her sister, or she knows her sister died destroying that dreadnought, and she is in tears because of it. You know, she doesn't think her, you know, even if she thinks her sister's a hero, she's still terribly upset by what happened. And then she sees Finn, and it's like, this guy's a legend. They know Finn he's a resistance hero to the point where like she can't even like get a full sentence out like uh i forget the, i forget the uh fumble of words she says but she doesn't she isn't able to get a whole sentence out that like makes sense you know she's speaking in the way i am right now and so you know connecting rose to like poe even you know poe thinks being a hero is the right thing that like as long as you're a hero everything will work out and Rose was like, my freaking sister might have been a hero, but she's dead now. And that, like, what am I supposed to do with that? But then, like, she turns around and, like, Finn really is a hero. And she's overcome and she's, like, babbling about it. And Canto Bite, what it does for Rose is it helps with her pain. Uh, her pain of her lost sister. She is able to overcome that and reconcile that when she frees all the um oh, I can't remember the name of the horse cat ear things horse cat ear Star Wars Fathiers 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 the Fathiers um she they're able to free those and like that helps you know that is able to you know save hopefully you know make it easier for some of the other people on Canto Bite that you know she you know she was forced to suffer as a kid and and hopefully that act of kindness that act of goodness will lead to better outcomes for these other kids that they run into and so you get Rose at the end like and and so well hold on uh, let me backtrack before we get there and talk about Finn so Finn again coward um his you know, being on Cantobite allows him to kind of help overcome his shame. You know, he get, you know, he his strength improves by spending this time with Rose and learning how strong she is. You know, she lost her sister, and you know she is able to keep her head on straight, and she is doing everything she can to try and make Poe's plan work, to try and save the Resistance, and Finn that rubs off on Finn. It does. And both of them are kind of skeptical about DJ, but in the end, they're like, look, like he can help us. He can get us on that ship. He can make, get us in there. He can hack them and uh, help us save everybody. And so reluctantly, they, you know, go with it. And 
by the end of the movie, they get to the point where Finn has learned the wrong thing, uh, ultimately, about self-sacrifice. And he, as he drives that speeder thingy into the ramming cannon, which I don't... It's not like a ramming cannon. It doesn't ram in... I don't know. I don't like the terminology behind that weapon, but neither here nor there. As he's driving into it to effect, you know, attempting to kill himself um, in order to save the rest. You know, I remember coming out of the first viewing thinking they should have let him die. They should have killed Poe in that moment for the sake of um, the resistance. Like that would have, I thought that would have been a good decision to make. I don't think that anymore. I've changed my mind about that. I'm glad that Rose saves him. And, you know, Finn, he, he just, you know, he does the same exact thing that Poe did, you know, except instead of Leia telling Poe to turn back and to fall back, it's Poe telling Finn, like, look, you got to stop this. Poe figured it out by that point. He learns that lesson. And we see Finn, who has gone too far one direction, flips his earpiece up the exact same way Poe did it and charges in head first, doesn't care about his own life. And so Rose has to come knock him out of the way, sacrificing, you know, her own ship thingy to get her, get keep him safe. And we get Finn who doesn't, he, 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 he's kind of like a step behind Poe in this trajectory right because like we later see when luke's there that finn tries to rush out to help him like i don't know what the fuck finn thinks he's going to do to help luke skywalker but poe quickly like grabs him is like realizes like no 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 he is sacrificing himself and becoming a diversion in order for us to all escape and it's exactly like rose said like it's kind of cheesy, kind of a cheesy line, but it's not wrong, you know? It's more important to fight for the things you love than against the things you hate. And I think that's very true, and, I, and I'm sure I'm paraphrasing a little, but the simple matter is that Finn is trying to sacrifice himself because that's not bravery. It's not bravery to just kill yourself. Um, whether or not you are, you know, destroying one cannon that the First Order has. Like, it's not like they're not going to get in there with the, like, ten eight giant AT-ATs and all that stuff. Like, they're still getting in there. You just maybe slowed them down, but there's better ways to do it than sacrificing yourself. And Rose realizes that, and it takes Finn longer to do so. Um, huh. <sighs> so, uh, let's see... So Finn's shame at being a coward, Canto Bite helps address that. You know, he doesn't come out on the other side perfect, but he doesn't, you know, he's now willing to put himself in on the line for more than just Ray. You know, he's not running away. Now he actively is trying to help Luke. He's actively trying to save the resistance, and he's not doing it in the best, you know, the best possible 
way, but he's able to do it. He's moved on in that sense. He has improved and involved, evolved and um, grown in that way. And so another aspect, so continuing to try, I know I'm kind of jumping around a bit, but like that's just the way the conversation is leading me. But jumping back to Canto Blight in itself, um, I saw a really fantastic Twitter thread today uh, from Jessica Ellis talking about Canto Bite and the movie as a whole. And I, I picked, picked one of her quotes out. I think it, it perfectly encapsulates why Canto Bite is important. Because when you go to Canto Bite, it's a casino place. You know, it's mostly weapons traders. And as DJ points out to us, it's not just people selling weapons to the First Order. They're selling weapons to the Resistance, too. And Jessica Ellis uh, says, quote, success built on subjugation or divine right is just failure we're lying about. And the entirety of Cantobite is these people who are, quote, successful based on pitting other people against each other, based on putting other people down. Um, and that is a failure of nature to see these people treat the kids so poorly to see them uh you know sitting on top of this toxic place that you know you see finn and rose watching those kids get beaten as the animals are getting beaten and it's like this is not right this is all wrong this is what we're you know finn and, and rose are like this is what we stand up against and when Rose reveals the resistance ring to that kid, you know, he instantly recognizes that symbol because the kid knows that that symbol means so much more than just we're fighting the empire. It stands for a lot more than that. It stands for, you know, rising up against the tyranny of just injustice in and of itself. And the movie on a larger scale by juxtaposing the fact that, um, well, I guess I guess I can't really necessarily call it a fact just yet, but just juxtaposing the idea that Ray is not a Skywalker against the like it's not Luke who was born into this divine right, it is Ray who is trained and lived on her own and has now found herself through you know, her own doing <coughs> in a position where she is the hero. And something else that, like, Jessica Ellis says in that thread, and this is paraphrasing, I don't have a direct quote here, but poor and downtrodden people are seeing a film that tells them they could be a hero and thinking that's not right. You know, you have all these people who see The Last Jedi and say, Ray needs to be Ray needs to have some significant heritage. And yet, these people are not people with significant heritage the same way. You know, these aren't people who are descendant from Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or, or you know, any of the successful, you know, people that live in the world. These are just average people like me, like probably you, I guess, uh, who exist in a world where they are doing what they can to rise above their station in life. And I think that's all anyone is ever doing, you know? 
whatever position you're born into, you want to be in a better one as an adult. You want to be in an even better one when you're older, right? And Ray is doing that, doing that exact freaking thing. And people are upset by that because for I don't know why, right? They're upset because they think she needs to have been born into it. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to work for your wealth. You should have inherited wealth to, you know, translate loosely. Um, and that's crazy to me. You know, I, I think, you know, I think we all want to feel, you know, we all want to be Harry Potter on his 11th birthday and have Hagrid burst through the door and be like, you're a wizard, Harry. But why can't it be just as rewarding to be the person that strikes out on their own and ends up succeeding and being a hero despite the fact that we don't have significant parents, despite, in spite of the fact that, you know, we don't have magic blood or whatever the hell you want to make it about. You know, we aren't, you know, why can't we just be, like, more like a, a I, don't know, I was going to say Frodo, but he's not exactly um, what the kind of comparison I'm looking for. Uh, I don't know that there's a great, like, I'm, I mean, the best example is Ray. Assuming her parents remain junk traders, she has clearly risen, risen above that in this franchise. And that is something to be celebrated, not scorned. I don't want her to be a solo or a, a Jin or a Kenobi or a Skywalker. She is Ray. And she has done more than so many other characters in this in these movies have ever done. And they had, you know, that inherited wealth. They had that leg up on the rest of the competition. And she's still outworking them. And that's a fantastic message. And I, I wish more people would recognize that. And so Canto Bite, <laughs> to kind of draw back to that, Canto Bite shows that like these Canto Bite represents all these people who are inherited wealth, who are inherent inherited success. And it shows that they're ugly on the inside and that the fact that they didn't work for the, the success they have and for what they've earned and achieved has yielded uh, a corrupt and unpleasant place to be. And so, yeah, you know, if we cut out the entire Canto Bite segment, most of the general plot kind of stays the same. But the message of the movie, I think, is lo pretty, mostly lost. A lot of the character development for Poe and Rose and Finn is lost. And I think that it is essential to the movie to have the Canto Bite thread. Plus, and this is less important... But you have a nice voice cameo from Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He plays the, he voices the the character that um, complains about the park job, the parking violation, <laughs> which ultimately is what gets um, Rose and Finn sent to prison. So that's fun too. Um, another aspect, and this was in another, so kind of following the Canto Bite thread, uh, another element of this is Finn 
talking to Poe. And so Poe asks him, hey, did you find the master code breaker? And Finn says, we found a master code breaker, which he is frustrated by. And this is a very pointed, point, interesting thing. And, and there's an article out there that I, I don't have the link to that address this issue better than I might be able to. We'll see. But, um, so you have Luke telling Rey, like, I'm the Luke Skywalker. You know, or, or maybe it's Rey telling Luke, like, I'm the Luke, you're the Luke Skywalker. You know, you have Rose telling Finn, you're the Finn. And you have all this sort of, like, that's, you know, that's, you know, the General Hodo, you know, the Leia, the this thing, the that thing. DJ is just a master codebreaker. And I think, and I think what what's important about this is, and I think this is something that Ryan Johnson is trying to tell us, is that having somebody be the whatever it is you are, we don't want that anymore. Now we need things to be a whatever you are. And to kind of put that in more like, layman's terms think of it like you don't want someone to be the legend blah 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 of whatever it's more like you know you can be a master of something and that person can also be a master of something and a master of something and you just it, it it kind of it it tones down the the mythology that's taking place because you look at somebody like the Luke Skywalker and then you see him and he's nothing like the legend. He can pretend to be, and he can use that image to, to help buy the resistance some time toward the end of the movie. But you know, he is just a person at the end of the day. He's not the whatever, um, you know, the Finn, he Finn immediately after being called like, the resistance hero is is immediately a coward trying to run away from the resistance uh, and save his own skin. Uh, you know, like, I, I think that's a very important distinction to make. And DJ, <laughs> love DJ, but DJ being a master codebreaker and not the master codebreaker is immediately, like, suspect right? Like, can he even do it? Like, which is strange, because you think about it, and you think about these movies, and the way Maz Kanata presents it, it's like, well, look, the only way you can do this is with the best of the best of the best, the master codebreaker. You know, I, I don't know why, but I just thought of the Craggle from the Lego movie. But what but ultimately, what happens is that you don't need the master codebreaker. You just need a master codebreaker, DJ, who is not... Um, oh, I can't think of his name. He looks like uh, Jean Desjardins. Um, master codebreaker. I need to know his name. Um... Why won't you just tell me who plays him? Justin Thoreau. That's what I'm thinking of. Justin Thoreau. 
and like DJ like succeeds completely at everything that they needed him to do and he's just this guy you know and yeah DJ's not really a good guy he sells the resistance out he turns over Finn and Rose ultimately but for all the things they needed him for he came through right he is like this he's just this average guy and he's capable of doing all the things that quote-unquote a legend would have been able to do and so at the end of the day yeah he's very 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 gray on everything uh, but he is such a compelling character because he's clearly very good at the things um, and I think for me maybe the favorite my one of my favorite exchanges in this movie is Finn telling DJ you know DJ's like kind of like look you know it's just going to go back and forth you know they blow you up you blow them up and Finn's like you're wrong and DJ just kind of looks at him like maybe and walks away like that's such that's fascinating you know DJ the whole time is dropping just mad truth bombs is how I always tell, explain it you know the way he reveals to Finn that like everyone's getting out there for theirs and like selling weapons to both sides love that aspect of it and it's just he you know he's kind of reminiscent of Han Solo he's got that like Lando Calrissian aspect to him as well and yet he's so much more I don't know he, he's just so much more than both of them at the at the elements he's trying to replicate right he you know he's what you know the the best elements of Han Solo you know people always you know the, the whole Han Solo Greedo who shot first thing I like the idea of Han shooting first because that means he's more of a gray character DJ literally is a great character, and we see what happens when that's the case. You know, he has no allegiance to Finn and, and Rose, and uh, that's why Han kind of tends more towards being a light character, because he does have an allegiance to Luke. He does come back. He does save the day, whereas DJ sells them out, doesn't care, leaves with his money. That's it. Uh, so I really like DJ. I hope he comes back. I wish I could say more, but he doesn't have a lot to do. Um, okay. Uh, one more thing before we move into like the whole Ray Luke side of stuff, and that's Holdo herself. Um, so the Holdo maneuver, <laughs> many people have talked about the idea of like, if, her, if, if the maneuver she's doing is so potent and so powerful, why hasn't it been done before? You, you know, whether it be a kamikaze ship, whether it be a remote controlled droid man ship or something like that why couldn't somebody jump to light speed to destroy a ship as big as snoke's or like the death star before this regardless of what the truth of the matter is and you know i don't know if you'd have you'd have to ask ryan johnson how it works maybe he doesn't really have an explanation but the answer i prefer is that it has to be something difficult to do and because it's clearly something that can be done based on the reactions you get from general hux because uh holdo turns the ship around and hux starts freaking out like oh shit she's gonna blast through us and that means that it it's something that can be done but there has to be a reason why it's not done more and i think that's because it has to be very difficult 
I don't know if that's necessarily the dis- the amount of space between the thing that you're trying to destroy and you. Um, if it's, I don't know, the amount of speed and, and light speed and all that kind of stuff. The answer I like most is that she comes out of uh, light speed in the ship, which creates that. When you if you look at the way that, sh- that her ship flies through Snoke's ship, it gets wider after the impact, which could be explained by her ship blowing up. Uh, could be explained by like her re-entering from um, uh, da, 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 light speed. I'm I'm not I'm not sure, but it, it's it's definitely something I don't know it's the point has been brought up particularly on the slash film cast they talk about this they've talked about this and I think it's one worth discussing because it is kind of groundbreaking in its effectiveness but I personally think that it's fine if it's just a thing that is really difficult to do and it's such a thing that like you couldn't have a line of Holdo being like, all right, I got to time this just right. Cause that's silly and doesn't make any sense and would just make it feel more cheap than it actually is. But Holdo's significance, and I've already kind of talked about this already, but she fixes Poe's mistakes by sacrificing herself. She, you know, kills herself in order to f- prevent what Poe undid, and she doesn't know that Poe is the one that gave this away, but Poe is the one that gave away the intel that leads to Hux being able to destroy all of the escape pods, and Holdo is fixing Poe's mistakes and sacrificing herself in the process. By doing so, she ultimately teaches Finn the wrong thing, which is that sacrificing yourself is meaningful, to save others always is kind of what he learns and that's not the right thing to learn now Finn's because Finn's ultimate act of sacrifice isn't exactly her his attempted act of sacrifice I should say isn't going to yield the same results you know Holdo's maneuver completely saves everyone else at least buys them enough time to get to the planet Finn's doesn't necessarily do that. Firstly, he doesn't even know that his sacrifice is going to work. Uh, presumably, Holdo does know that her sacrifice is going to work. Secondly, or then thirdly, uh, Holdo's maneuver teaches Rose that the survival of friends means more than the destruction of enemies, which is kind of what I was saying before, because Holdo is put, putting herself in a position where she can save everybody else regardless of whether you know she is trying to lure hux's attention away from everyone else uh at her own sacrifice and you know she's not trying to initially she's not trying to destroy the first order she is not trying to do um to to make things uh to to take as many with her that's not like really the objective uh, it only, and it doesn't even become that. Like, she's not even trying to destroy everybody when she does her maneuver. It's mostly just for time and uh, to keep their attentions off everybody else, and it succeeds. 
And Rose learns a good lesson from this, and that is, you know, save the things you love. Don't fight for the things you love, not against the things you hate. You know, it's kind of the idea of just to even make it even simpler than I was going to, like, think about, like, arguing about your own movies. Uh, You know, if you and your friend are arguing about your favorite movie, if you spend the entire argument just telling him how stupid he is for liking his movie, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you spend the entire movie arguing in favor of your movie, you might be able to convince that other person to, you know, see your movie in a new light, to give it a second chance, to to reevaluate it. Or, you know, to be political, if you're Republican and Democrat arguing against each other, you're not going to get anywhere by calling each other stupid and telling each other how wrong they are on issues. You have to provide evidence for why your side of the argument is better. That's kind of the idea that I think the that, that Rose and Holdo and the movie are kind of getting at in that sense. Okay, let's move let's move away from Holdo. Let's move away from Finn, from Rose, from Poe, Leia, all that Canto Bite stuff. And let's get to Ray and Luke. And I didn't I, I promise I didn't structure it this way to kind of like save the best for last or anything like that. That's just how the note taking happened. So, Ray, drunk trader parents. As I've said before, I think that's a fantastic idea. I like that she can be this powerful and this in tune with the Force and doesn't have to be because she was born as a Skywalker. Anybody, you know, the layman, the the average Joe, has just as much chance as a Skywalker does. I think that's great. And I think that the biggest issue... That pe- uh, and this is not just with Rey, but Star Wars has succeeded in giving us the unexpected. You know, when you think back to Luke, I'm your father. It's unexpected. You know, no one expected that. Uh, and, and furthermore, like Leia being Luke's sister. Like, these are not expected things, but they are very epic things. They are things that have great rippling effects across the rest of the movies, across the galaxy, across these characters and their interactions with each other. They are very significant. And the truth for Ray is still unexpected. <laughs> it's unexpected, but it's not epic. It's the opposite. It's mundane, even. You know, she is no not the kid of anybody she's just some junk trader kid but you think about like so was anakin freaking like he was no like other than like he had a high count of midichlorians he was nobody special which is i think something exciting to me like that's taking the franchise in a way that we weren't expecting. We spent two years trying to figure out, okay, could it be like Kenobi's like niece three times removed when you carry the two? No. It's just not that. It's just a she's just a girl who had to fend for herself. And she's really good at surviving at this point. So it's still unexpected as Star Wars has been in the past, but it's not epic. And I think it doesn't have to be. 
because I like this direction. I like this result. Um, a lot of comparisons uh, of her and Luke compared to Luke and Yoda in Empire. Um, a noticeable difference that I, I like drawing attention to is Luke enters his sort of cave of darkness reluctantly. He does not want to enter, but he does so anyway. He doesn't he isn't really looking in for it. Whereas Ray like basically jumps in. She is excited, she is invigorated, she wants to know and answer these questions she has about herself and her family and her heritage and all these unanswered questions. And I, I think it's interesting and fascinating to kind of compare the two because you know, we love Luke and you know, we follow Luke in the original trilogy, but he's always so hesitant. He's always afraid. And, you know, like Lotus said, like fear leads to suffering, suffering leads to ang anger, anger leads to hatred, hatred leads to the dark side. I might have confused the, the order of those, but um, fear leads to hatred, hatred leads to suffering, suffering leads to dark side. Ah, fuck, I gotta look it up now. Fear leads to anger. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Um... I don't think that's the way I first said it, but that is the way it is, so that's how it is. Um, and Luke, like, that is why, I, even, like, I never thought Rey was going to turn. She's not afraid. You know, if we're going to take Yoda at his word, then, you know, it makes perfect sense. Kylo is afraid, and that is why he is on the dark side. Rey is confident she is determined and you know she jumps into this cave despite the fact that luke tells her not to that you know he points out you headed straight for the darkness without even hesitating but she knows right from wrong she has her worldview she abides by her worldview and you see that in her relationship with luke and her you know she the more she learns about Kylo and the closer she gets to him she realizes like Luke's not telling her the whole truth Luke's holding stuff back from her Luke isn't um really coming clean about what happened and I like the scene where she like confronts him about it where she strikes at him where she attacks him and he's forced to defend himself that's a great scene it shows just how strong her resolve is that you know it doesn't matter to her whether Luke's a legend or not it doesn't matter to her that he's a Jedi master uh, she will do what she can and what she needs to if she thinks that he is not being fair not being faithful not you know being honest with her and that's that's a great great aspect and, and part of that character of Rey and you know that's not like a an a flawless trait you know that is something that's going to end up causing problems you know in certain instances but you know you know it's the kind of thing that leads her to thinking that like she can save kylo but she can't she she she's unable to do that but um 
Yeah, and and so like kind of going off of that onto her relationship with Luke, I love her relationship with Luke. You know that kind of ties in with this time jump that happened for Luke's character. A lot of people don't like it. I think it makes sense. You know, you skip ahead maybe five years, and it's pretty easy to see where Luke would have been five years after Return of the Jedi. You skip ahead thirty years, and all bets are off. There's so many different permutations, so many options, so many opportunities, so many outcomes, impossible to predict. And this aspect, you know, he had to, there had to be a reason for him living in a secluded island that no one could access, right? Like, we were given that out, given that as the outcome, why would Luke be there like that? And Ryan Johnson decided that he was kind of a hermit, he no longer wanted anything to do with anybody. He failed. He was punishing himself. He didn't feel like he had anything he could teach anybody. He was not a good teacher. He'd failed Kylo and the rest of his students. He'd failed Leia. He'd failed Han. That makes sense. He's bitter and and frustrated and upset and sad and taking it out on himself. Which is what makes his redemption all the more satisfying you know, he's he's this kooky old guy. He's kind of turned into a little bit of Yoda. Uh, particularly, oh my gosh, maybe my favorite scene in the movie when he, he asks Ray to reach out. She sticks her hand out, which I think Daisy really does so well, like getting that kind of jerky motion. And he tickles the her fingers. And he's like, do you feel that? that, that that's the force. Oh, you, you must be really strong. <laughs> that, I can't wait to see that scene again. It's so great. And you, you just, you get Luke, you understand, you know, how Yoda, if we were to take the prequel Yoda at face value, could turn into original trilogy Yoda. You know, he kind of sat by himself for who knows how long, and it does stuff to you. And Luke... Um, has changed and in my opinion he's a very important character in this movie and he's a complex character he was you know we had to see him in a different light than we saw him in the original trilogy we don't you know he can't be all you know perfect you know and to his credit he's not and Mark Hamill captures that essence perfectly I think and so when he projects himself to delay Kylo and uh, confront the person that he he wronged and that he believes he failed, it's notable that he he doesn't quite reconcile that aspect aspect of it. Um, you know, if he if he truly believes that it's his fault that the First Order is as powerful as it is. And it's his fault that Kylo's as powerful as he is. Then, you know, he doesn't take care of Kylo. So, you know, he doesn't, you know, fix that issue. But he makes it possible for others to have that opportunity to confront Kylo and, and, and finish him or fix him or whatever the situation will end up being in episode 9. And... You know, it, that's why it's all the more important that his weakness to the dark side not be 
succumbing to the dark side because I think that is too far in one direction for his character to go. And then uh, the other thing to talk about Luke is um, Yoda. Yoda being there. Which, you know, Yoda, always the wise one, tells Luke, you know, hey, look, man, passing on that stuff, all your teachings, all that, you know, the biggest thing you can teach her is that failure failure will teach you more than any successes ever will. And how on the friggin' nose is that? Poe fails. And his first failure, in his mind, isn't even a failure. It's a success. And Leia's like, no, 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 no. You know, maybe we broke even at best, but it is not a success, right? Demotes him. Then, huge failure, letting slip the, the truth of their plans to DJ through Finn and leading to so many dead on the escape ships. You know, that is how he learns to be a leader. Failure, failure, failure. Um, <laughs> Finn fails escaping because Rose catches him, and it is because of that that he is forced to go to Kano Bite, or, you know, he ends up going to Kano Bite, and that is where he learns to be brave. He learns to have confidence in himself. Um, you know, Ray fails to turn uh, Kylo to the light side, and I think that that failure is going to be very instrumental in her improving. You know, we see her able to lift all those rocks with the force towards the end, and I, I don't think that really has a direct correlation between, you know, failing to turn Kylo, but I think it will have a farther reaching consequence and, and um, effect in episode 9. Uh, and so Luke, you know, he's failed himself, he's failed all these people, he's failed Kylo, Leia, Han, and... Uh, it's caused him to grow. You know, he, the lessons he gives Ray are important ones. And, you know, she learns from him that, you know, failure is possible and you have to learn to accept it. And, you know, she doesn't. You know, she doesn't really get that until she, until Kylo reaches out his hand and is like, hey, look, you and me. We could do wonderful things together. And she's like, oh, I see it. And then, like, you get this image on her face. Like, she figures it out. She understands in that instance. Like, oh, okay. I I get it now. <laughs> uh, failure. I, it's not about all that stuff. It, it's, it's, you know, like, I didn't, I didn't understand she didn't understand, rather, you know, just how things had progressed, just what the circumstances really were. And now she knows. She's moving on. She's figured it out. She, I think, hopefully, has moved on from that position of, um, uh, you know, like, I can fix him, that you see in, like, rom-coms and stuff, Hopefully. So, uh, then Snoke, he's dead. I, I don't, who cares about, like, look, 
if you think about the original trilogy, Emperor Palpatine isn't in the first movie. He's a hologram in the second movie. He's physically present in the third movie, gets to do like a couple of cool things, does force lightning, and is killed. It's really pretty simple. Like, he's not that complex of a character. He doesn't have a rich backstory. He just controls Vader, and then Vader kills him. Snoke, hologram in the first movie, uh, physically manifested in the second movie, force powers, force time between Kylo and Rey. Kylo kills him. No backstory, nothing. You want to have a prequel trilogy about Snoke? Fine. I don't, that's fine. Like, I'm not interested in him insofar as this trilogy is concerned. One thing I did um, propose in one of the discussions I had was, um, I'm trying to think how the, what the context was, but I expect there to be some sort of situation where we learn why and how Kylo turned to the dark side in like him talking to somebody about it, maybe Ray. And in doing so, he might rep, you know, kind of explain one or two lines about like Snoke and the way he approached him and what he told him. Maybe we'll learn a little bit about him in that sense. That's the most I see us, I see happening in episode nine. You know, he's just as present as the emperor in the original trilogy. Just the movie he's not going to be in is the third one instead of the first one. And you know what? The first one is my favorite of the original trilogy. So I, I think that's telling. Okay. Um, so the last thing, I feel like I've talked about everything. I'm sure I haven't, but every like thing I can think of that people talk about. Um, so the future of well, first let me talk about episode 9, and then I'll talk about the future of Star Wars. So episode 9, I mentioned some of this already. Kylo's plans for the First Order. That's the most important thing. I want to see uh, a further development of the Hux-Kylo relationship. I want to see further development of the Ray-Kylo relationship, beyond just, I want to kill you. Um, I kind of expect Poe to lead the Resistance, now that he's been turned into a good leader. I'm con interested in where Finn's position will fall uh, now that he's confident and brave and, and you know understands that more, better I'm interested to know if Rey is going to be actually part of the resistance or off on her own in a sense the way that Luke kind of was uh, I you know she her lightsaber is broken she needs to build it herself or have someone build it for her I suggest Maz Kanata does that and I don't know how it would be designed, but I think it should be designed uniquely in the same way that Kylo's is designed uniquely for him. I want to see DJ back. I really hope he comes back. Doesn't have to be a huge role like it wasn't uh, in this one, but if he's back, I would be super pleased. Uh, the Resistance has been decimated. So Luke's, you know, Luke's uh, sacrifice based on that end scene in Last Jedi, has clearly sparked the fire that they were talking about in Last Jedi. So I'm curious to see how much time we skip ahead and how big the Resistance is going to be when we start Episode Nine, Because, like, the 15 people that were left at the end of Jedi, uh, you know, what are they going to do? Nothing. They're not strong enough together. Um, I wrote down, can Kylo be saved? And I think I kind of talked myself into saying no already based on what we've seen. 
I don't think he can be saved. I think he has to die at the end of this movie. Uh, because that's the end of the Skywalker bloodline. And that is what I want the um, resolution of these films to be. And uh, But the other question is, will somebody else fall to the dark side? And I don't know about that. It, because if Phasma's really dead, then I guess we pit Finn against Hux. Ray against Kylo, but then who is Poe up against? Like, who's the one-for-one one equivalent of Poe? There isn't one. There doesn't have to be. Maybe it's DJ. I don't know. Interesting. It's curious. I don't know. I, there's a lot of structural questions to be asked about Episode Nine, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm nervous about JJ's involvement, but I think he has the capacity to satisfy me and hopefully everyone else with Episode Nine. Uh, but we're still, we're two years out, so a lot can change, a lot can happen, a lot can improve, and, uh, uh, be worse, I don't know, the opposite of improve. I'm sure there's a better word than get worse. So, moving on from that, as far as the future of Star Wars goes, I mentioned, um, at the top of this episode, feels like forever ago, how George Lucas doesn't understand and know as much about Star Wars as the majority of the fans do. I think that's true. I also think that the future creators of Star Wars are the ones that are those fans. They're the ones that know more about it than he does. You know, like J.J. and Ryan Johnson. You know, whatever you think about the movies they've made... I think they understand Star Wars better than Lucas does. I think if Lucas made a Star Wars movie today, it would not go over well. It would go for worse than The Last Jedi, I think. Because I think it wouldn't get critical appeal. It wouldn't get any appeal. I just don't think he has that sensibility in him anymore. So I am looking forward to a Star Wars future without Lucas's involvement, as it hasn't been. And I'm pleased. Uh... I'm very excited for Ryan Johnson's trilogy. I haven't heard that he's not getting a trilogy anymore yet, so I'm still, fingers crossed, hoping that he will continue to develop a new trilogy of Star Wars movies. But above all, I want new things, right? I want Episode Nine to be the last episode of, Je of Skywalker's saga. No more Skywalkers. Uh, I want movies without Jedi or um, Sith. So like Rogue One accomplish that. That is one of the things I like about Rogue One. I want alien main characters. Why don't we have more? We have Chewie. Uh, we have a couple of droids. We get Jar Jar. Like, Jar Jar is probably the reason why we don't have more alien main characters. But, like, can't we just make him, make an alien not be a bumbling buffoon? Or have speech? I don't know. Like, make... Uh, you know, why couldn't Rose's character have been an alien? Just literally the same person. Could even have been played by the same person, but an alien instead of Rose. I, I don't know why that's not a possible thing. That's what I want. Going forward, I want new things. I want new directions. I want new avenues. I want to explore this galaxy. It's a friggin' galaxy. There is so much stuff in it. And it feels like we've barely scratched the surface. And we've had nine two-hour-long movies that take place in it. It's, it's, 
I hope Ryan Johnson's trilogy, if it still happens, will address some of those things. Uh, I don't... This is why I'm not really excited for the Han Solo solo movie. But, I mean, obviously I'm going to go see it. I do think the cast is fantastic, but I'm far more excited for episode 9 and whatever Ryan Johnson works on than I am for Han Solo. Uh, So... I'm going to leave it at that. I think that's almost two hours talking about Star Wars. And, like, I'm not a Star Wars guy. Like, I didn't grow up with this stuff. I don't know. But that's, that's what we're dealing with here. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, if... If you want to address any of the things I said, please, please let me know. I'm happy to continue discussing Last Jedi as long as anybody wants to talk to me about it. Because not even to the point where I think I need to convince other people to like the movie. I just think it's a good movie. And it's Star Wars, so it has a rich history. And that makes it really fun to talk about with other people. So if you have any, t- if you want to talk to me about Star Wars, about anything really, uh, you can contact me either by email uh, circle of film at gmail.com or on Twitter at circle of film. Uh, you can also head over to the website circleoffilm.com to check out a lot of other different stuff. Uh, every new episode gets posted over there, as well as you can check out the Circle of Film Awards, the Scavenger Hunt Superlatives, the spreadsheet, and information about the spreadsheet and myself are all over on the circle of, are, are, ugh, are all over on circleoffilm.com. And finally, uh, if you would like to uh, support the show uh, in a monetary fashion, you can do so at patreon.com slash circleoffilm. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be I know she'll never leave me Even as she fades from view So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu In the name of love One night in the name of love So long, farewell, oh what I'll be to say Wait a minute Wait a minute Wait a minute So long